Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Hollow Hollow Podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. Before we start our podcast, we'd like to acknowledge the lands we're podcasting on. I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. And I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabeg people. It's our main episode, and we are still in the vault for the month of (laughs) January. So back to the vault. Today's topic is music at 33 years old and the modern Filipino, Filipina, Filipinex. But before we get into today's topic, Sigs, what have you been up to pop culture-wise? Since we're in the vault, first things first. HBO mm-hmm. Max released a Mindy Kaling-created cartoon called Velma. Did you hear about this? No? Tell me more. So, Velma, you know, obviously... Velma is from Velma Dinkley from the Scooby-Doo series. Mm. It's a cartoon. I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, I guess she's going to be voicing Velma. I didn't have any clue about it. But Velma is Indian. Interesting. Daphne is adopted. Right. Fred is still blonde. Shaggy is black. Played by Sam Richardson. Constance Wu is Daphne. Oh, nice. And Freddie. So I had no clue. I was like, oh, this will be sort of funny. Yeah. Totally gore-like. It would be very Riverdale meets Sabrina comic oh, book-wise. Yeah. You would sort of like it, and it was totally biting with the jokes and stuff. Like, right. in the first few seconds, there was nudity, like, carefully placed bubbles in a woman's shower, nudity, girls' shower. <laughs> and even the jokes of, like, oh, I hate it when they have cartoons that are different colors or whatever. I mean, like, Jesus was, like, <laughs> not white, and, like, they played that up. Yeah, And yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. basically how that mystery gang gets together. Like, Velma, Ooh. her mother had gone missing, her father remarried and impregnated someone. Daphne and her used to be close, but they're not. Fred is living this, like, machismo life, trying to follow that. Very popular, <laughs> ignores Velma. And Shaggy is the lovelorn editor of the newspaper that loves Velma, but Velma can't see it. They dropped episodes, two episodes, and it's very biting, some swearing, and it was a bit more adult. And it was funny, because I was like, oh, this is sort of interesting. A lot of the haters, critics, have been like, we don't like it. I'm like, no, this is a different spin. Like, mm-hmm. I, I watched mm-hmm. Scooby-Doo as a kid. But there will be no Scooby-Doo, because there's a mature rating on the cartoon, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. Like, there, there, like they even said, like, there is no Scooby-Doo. There's no incentive that it's really kid-oriented. It's just Mindy Kaling, creative forces, just like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And the voices are like Wanda Sykes, Jane Lynch, many different actors where I'm like, I think I know that voice. Or mm. is it Russell Peters? I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. It's really just great. It's a throwback. I love Scooby-Doo and I love like the mystery group and it's just a different take right now on them. And with the fact that Daphne's like, I have red hair, but her mom is, her adoptive parents are black and white, voiced by Jane Lynch and Wanda Sykes. And she wants to know her background. She's like, why do I have really red hair? And I don't know if she is Asian. Like, very interesting. Sounds really interesting. And I can't it's wait It's an interesting to... take. It, it, yeah. it, it is an interesting take. That's a throwback. But the one thing that I've been doing, and usually January, you and I are like talking about stuff. Right, right. There's been, a, it's award seasons. Golden Globes came back. Yes, it totally has come back and in full force. And I... 
I didn't actually have time to watch the entire show, mm-hmm. so I just kind of caught clips here and there. And I think the thing that really took me by surprise was how the person that cues the music to kind of shoo people off stage was really commented upon, if you will, right? And, exactly. And yeah. it wasn't Chloe Flowers. She was not no. playing one off. No, no, I no. I really like Jared Carmichael just really sticking up for her. No, it's not Chloe. Right. It's someone playing, but I yeah. mean... Can you fight Michelle Yeoh? I don't think so. No, of course so, not. And, of course not. But the representation was pretty high. And last night, I didn't realize like the Critics' Choice Awards were on. That's right. So I and put the kids on, and then I turned it on, and I was like, "What? What's going on? There's awards going on. All these people that I like we're are getting so awards. I'm very out of happy. practice because of the pandemic. That's what I gotta say. It, it was. And meanwhile, I'm just a ball of mush. I'm like tearing up when I see. He win for everything <laughs> everywhere all at once. Yes. The directors, Daniel Kwan, Daniel Scheinert winning, people praising Michelle Yeoh, Shirley Ralph, elementary winning, even like Brendan Fraser. Now, here's the thing. Right. I know something about Brendan Fraser mm-hmm. because at a previous job, I knew that he was filming a movie in Montreal. Right. And I knew some of the stand-ins that were in the movie. I think it was called like Journey to the Center of the Earth or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those science fiction he ones. He was yeah. cheating on his wife. <gasps> With a stand-in. So I always, I know, this is scandalous. This is like, I don't know who's listening to our podcast, but this was like, <laughs> this was Bible. And I right. always thought of him as a cheater, but I'm glad everyone's, you know, giving him much yeah, accolades yeah. or whatever for the whale. And he well, won, but you know, and maybe he's worked on himself, right? May, then, and maybe, so. we, you know, we can forgive, but it was everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm sure we'll talk about this at another podcast. Yeah. This is what a metaverse is about. Yeah. Dr. Strange. Like, so it was really, I hope they win. I hope this is a good calling that it's going to be Asian people winning. Like, it makes me excited. So nice to see. It makes me excited. What have you been up to pop culture wise? I have to say not much. Work has been quite busy, but I mean, I finally caught up on the big brunch. You told me all about it. And Did you love? Did you love? Did you love? Love it. Love it. And so much so. I mean, I've always watched Sola on YouTube right from the mm-hmm. very beginning. Every, mm-hmm. Since she was on Bon Appetit and then left Bon Appetit because of That's their right. racialization right. scandal and That's all right. of that stuff. But I continue mm-hmm. to watch her. But this was the interesting thing. The yeah. interesting part was actually introducing Michael to it. And he uh-huh. actually found it palatable. I have to say, he's not the biggest fan of Dan Levy. Right. Oh, and come. well, he'll openly say this. There's something about Dan that brings out some internalized sissiness okay. in him. And he just can't seem to stand it. And I think that's why it's been hard for him to watch Schitt's Creek or the great Canadian baking mm-hmm. show. However, since this is his show and he's not subject to a script or subject to direction from the producer, and he gets to produce himself, and you know, he's obviously much more authentic. And it's like this Dan Luffy, you know? That's and I'm good. Like, so I said, well, then maybe we can watch Shit's Creek together. I so want him to watch Shit's Creek. Oh my God. He a, he love. Yeah. He was totally, totally. And yeah. so Michael was also introduced to Sola. And so now he can't get enough of her. I so love Sola. I love her. <laughs> he like searches her on YouTube and it's like, did you know this? And I'm like, yes, I did. I watched it already. Did you know this? Yes, I did. And he says, do you know what <laughs> Sola's favorite whiskey brand is? That, interestingly enough, I don't know. And then when he found out, which is Johnny, <laughs> you know, Walker 
black or blue because like we had to go or to the blue. liquor store. Oh. Yeah. And then we had to go to the liquor store and then like suddenly buy all this Johnny Walker. So now Ziggs, if you come back to Toronto, you're going to have to have I will have some. With my whiskey I will have collection. some with you. That I will have some. That's, so that's a great invite. Yeah. So that's what we've done. And then also kind of caught up on or started RuPaul's Drag Race season 15. And I oh, have wonderful. to tell you just a really quick story about that. No, no, no. I want to hear Which is, is that quite often... Michael and I think about, oh, we should go to a RuPaul's Drag Race viewing party. That's a thing, right? Like you can go to any of the gay bars in the gay village here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Or there are some bars here in the West End of Toronto where we live where you can go for a RuPaul's Drag Race viewing night. And so a week, you know, ago or two, a week and a half ago, and I know that this is going to drop a little bit later, but Mm -hmm. my friend Brandon and I went to go out and because we were like, oh, we haven't been to a bar since the pandemic. Let's go out. Let's do a bar hopping. Mm -hmm. And then after we had dinner and we had a couple of drinks at one bar, it was like, let's go to Woody's. So we went to Woody's (laughs) and it was packed. Oh, yeah. And it was the premiere for RuPaul's Drag Race season. Oh, I can't imagine how busy it was. Well, A, it was busy. B, everyone was busy talking. C, although it was everywhere and they had closed captioning, it was like, gosh, how does anyone pay attention to this, right? Like, I couldn't pay attention to it. And it was you couldn't just like, consume your pop culture the way I you like? I couldn't, not. And yeah. I was just like, I'm old, Six. Like, I'm old. <laughs> like, that's what it meant. And, you know, and well, I just thought, I can't appreciate <laughs> Strike Race a viewing party in a bar. I came home and I told Honey, I said, you know, all of that, like we should go out and shaming Mm. ourselves that we're not going out to support RuPaul (laughs) in the middle of a bar. We can't do it. Like being our age, we can't do it. We would be too cranky at all the young people hooting and hollering and we can't hear what RuPaul is saying as she's giving critiques or something like that. Oh my god! Yeah, I think that would be a little bit hard for you guys. I mean, it's not a Super Bowl game or like NCAA to watch or a hockey game, but yeah, yeah I might not be, necessarily need to pay attention to the analysis on the Super Bowl, you yeah. know. But when I'm watching RuPaul, I want to hear some of the feedback that some of exactly. the judges are giving. So it was just like I can't watch this, so I had to stop watching and purposely ask Brandon, like, can we just kind of turn this way so I'm not watching and let's? I'll just watch this later. It settled <laughs> once and for all that yep. I could never go to a viewing party, or at least if I'm going to a viewing at a party bar. at a bar, at a bar, at a, at a bar. bar. I mean, if, perhaps if you hosted a viewing. I thought you were going to say you were going to host a well, viewing party. We can like, host oh, a viewing party, and then I would yeah. probably silence people or pause and say, "What do we have to say about that?" Like, let's. Hey, debate. you know what? I think you're onto something. <laughs> I think I would totally go. You could make it thematic. We could bring the appropriate food for it, Jesse. Oh, think totally. About it. Well, at some point, I think we need to share gay Super Bowl story with our podcast listeners. We'll say that for another podcast, right? Uh, in terms can of you put that in that pocket? I want to hear about this. You stuff. know the, the gay Super no, Bowl story, I don't. do you not? I don't. I have no oh my gosh. Okay, come on. Like, I, you have to tell us a tidbit okay, now. So here's the really, really <laughs> short story. And I know Super Bowl's coming up, so probably it's appropriate. So yeah. way back when, when I was finishing my PhD, I decided, okay, you know what I'm going to do? And this is... Folks, this was in the days of VCRs, where that's how you recorded things. I decided this is back to the vault, Kuya. This is very probably this is back to the vault. Go for it. Go for it. So it was a Sunday, but I needed to go to the library 
because it's not like I could download articles like you can download articles today. No, in the no, comfort oh my God, of your so own. Jealous. Yeah, I so had to go and pay my 15 cents for photocopy for each. So you even needed to like have money saved up for that. Or damn you, abstract would be like a paragraph that you have oh to photocopy. Goodness. Yeah, it's totally. Like a waste of 15 cents. So I would have to spend, <laughs> and I knew I was going to be in the library for like a good hours. eight, nine hours. Ooh. So I got up on that Sunday. I, you know, I had my breakfast. I put in the videotape, I set record, and I left <laughs> to do my work. Yeah. And then I come back at around about eight o'clock, and lo and behold, I see Michael and Tara eating popcorn and chips and watching The Little Mermaid. And I was just like, it's eight o'clock. Uh, what happened to my videotape where it was recording? Did you not see it being recorded? And Michael and Tara say, oh, sweetie, you were taping football. We didn't think you wanted to watch that. And I was like, it's the fucking Super Bowl. Super Bowl. <laughs> and we're missing the halftime show right now. Oh and you're both oh watching gosh. Little Mermaid. And so they felt so incredibly bad. They were like, we didn't think you liked Super Bowl. I just like Super Bowl. So the following year, because I didn't let them live it down, right? I kept bringing it up every moment that I could. Videos? Yes. I kept bringing it up. So then the following year, Tara invites me and Michael to our place for gay Super Bowl. So she had like a fancy Super Bowl spread. A fancy Super Bowl. It was the most, it was the fanciest Super Bowl spread I've ever seen. And then the, the year after that, it was like we hosted Tara and we had a fancy Super Bowl spread. And our friend James was, you know, living nearby at the time, right? And, yeah. Or could easily get down to our place. And he comes over and he's like, is gay Super Bowl like this all the time? Right? <laughs> like it kind of is. We would have gay Super Bowl from years on end. Now, sadly, it kind of, I think by the time the Patriots started like, you know, having their dynasty, I think I started to get disinterested at that point. Fair enough. But no shade to the Patriots. At some point, it started to go out of favor. It is not to say that I'm not, I wouldn't watch a, another football game, but that's my gay Super Bowl story is our oh, friend Tara feeling extremely, extremely guilty. Feel free to ask Tara about it. Like to think who's the person that took it out? Like it looks like a, a Tara thing. Like he doesn't like football. Like I'm sure it was Tara. Bag of chips on her lap. Like oh okay. Well, no I have to say I think it probably was Tara, or it was at Tara's direction that Michael took it out. Folks, Michael, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just Tara, yeah. if you're listening to this, I know that it was you that the that was the one that coaxed Michael to take out the VHS tape in that VCR as we were trying to tape Super Bowl back in the early 2000s. Okay, wait a minute though. I have one last question. And I know yeah. we have a podcast. We have some. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. What qualifies as a gay Super Bowl? Is it the food or the spread that she put out? Like it is you just, the, it is what the, is the menu? Is it like well like, it changes from year to year? Or what is it like? Yeah, it is like a series of Amus Bouche. It is is like cocktails galore. Okay. There are, I think in one year she had like special little streamers and stuff like that. I mean, she did it really well. And then it was just a matter of kind of like reciprocating. So there was like, come on over for gay Super Bowl and fancy wings. Ooh, okay. Really layered flavors in the wings. So that's what kind of counts as gay Super Bowl. Just ask James. Ask James and like text him and say, did you ever experience gay Super Bowl with Jez and Michael? And he'll say yes. I just- when it was we fancy. say that term, it leads to many thoughts for people. Uh, so yeah, when, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. if we say it currently, would you call it refined Super Bowl? Well, <laughs> you know, I, I would just say, yes, I would probably call it an elevated Super Bowl today. Well, look at you. Always, 
Always a turn of phrase. Always a turn of phrase. You can come at me. The gays know how to do it better. Well, true, Sorry, true Jesse, enough, you, true you, enough, showed but... you showed me very well that, you know. Yes. I... So now it's kind of like, maybe we need to kind of reintroduce elevated Super Bowl for the modern age, which kind of leads us into our capital culture topic for today, which is really kind of music at age 33. And really, we're going to get more into this idea of modern versus traditional. And I know that as Gen Xers, Siggy and I, in some ways, right, are starting to be more in that vein of being traditional. But you came across a study that I think you should tell our listeners about. Oh, yeah. I keep on hearing about this. And this is like normal, like morning show radio. There was this study that came out. So if you were 33 or older, you'll never listen to new music again. Well, that's more or less what this online study says. This study, which was based mainly on data from U.S. Spotify users, concluded that at age 33 is when, on average, Mm -hmm. people stop discovering new music and begin the official march to the grave. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I sent the link to you. And listen, if you don't know, Jazzy's very scientific minded yes. studies and stuff. You've heard about it. It was like on audio AV club. I've heard it on talk show radio. It's like, and they've morphed it into when you're established taste is when you talked about going to the vault i said hey Kuya, let's talk about music at 33 like and what we're listening to on our playlist what were your thoughts on this very i mean so these information, i was really intrigued ahead. by the yeah. conclusion that you gave and i thought to myself oh that's fascinating our taste crystallizes at 33 and i right. get that right like there's lots of evidence to suggest how certain types of development or cognitive flexibility stops at this point. So I just thought, oh, let's read the actual primary study. So I went to the primary study, and then they went through their methodology, uh-huh. and all I kept thinking about was, this isn't really scientific, right? No. <laughs> at the end it, of the day. It, and it not, wasn't yeah. a rigorous type of methodology. But again, it was for fun, and it mm-hmm. wasn't published in some type of scientific journal. Exactly. <laughs> but when I did read the methodology and what they conclude, and I said, well... You can kind of conclude it, and kind of what you're concluding is that a stretch. There were many things that I critique it on, but mm. it was still fun. It just hints that, again, our taste crystallizes by a certain age and that we tend to listen to what we're familiar with as opposed to discovering new music. Now, Sigs, you and I know that past 33, we continue to listen to different types of music. <laughs> just recently, we were talking about Olivia Rodrigo, for example, right. you know, and introducing each other to different types of music that's out there. So I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Maybe it's a little bit harder to discover new music because we're not in the same forums. But it was an interesting hypothesis, right? Like it was just an interesting conclusion. I wouldn't even say conclusion, but more correlation than anything else. I laughed about it because I'm like, oh, I don't. But then after I was thinking about, okay, what did I listen to 2009? I was like, oh, crap. It totally shows that I I still <laughs> yeah. stick to this. I was like, oh, Jesus, I actually am a product of this. But I mean, right, right. we'll talk more about it. Like, I love my R&B. I love my hip hop. But when yes. I was talking about I was like, oh, shit, they're not sort of wrong. No, they're like, not sort of wrong, wrong. But there are some correlations. And it's yeah. not so definitive that it's a march to the grave either. Exactly. And like, it just takes like, I remember watching a Blackish episode and Dre was talking and he worked in an ad firm and he's like, oh, Mm. we're going to do something fresh and stuff. Then he would just play Notorious B.I.G. Big Papa. And everyone's like, (laughs) this is nothing new. Like, this is something that you do. I'm like, I love that song. Oh, gosh. Is this like adult contemporary hip hop? Like, am I aging myself? (laughs) We always want the hits. We always want retro day. But like, Kuya, I was 33 in 2009. You were 33 in 2006. 2005 to 2006. 2006. Yeah. So, yeah. like, I'm curious, what were you listening to 
during those mid to late early 2000s what was playing on your i, I well when you gave me these yeah when you gave me the assignment of yeah. what music you listened to and of course i was 33 from december 2005 to November 2006, I thought, oh my God, this is so hilarious in light of this study. Because that was like a Madonna year. Madonna released one of her major albums, Confessions on a Dance Floor. And one of the major songs in my 33rd year was that song, Hung Up by Madonna. I'm sort of sorry to make this into really, on my side, at least a Madonna focus. But unintended, unintended, sorry. Okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but not sorry. Yeah. So released October 17th, mm-hmm. hung up, peaked at number seven on the Billboard 100, and it reached number seven just before my birthday. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and hit number one in, in 40 countries, from what I understand. And what was really interesting about hung up for, I think, any, you know, even casual listener, but for, a Madonna listener is, is that she sampled Abba's Man After Midnight. Like, right. give me, give me, give me. Yeah. you know, if you know anything about Abba, they rarely, if not only on two occasions, have actually licensed their music to other artists in terms For of sample. sampling. That's and true. She, Madonna herself actually penned a handwritten note asking for permission and saying why. And they granted it. And Madonna talks about it in this podcast. So if anyone out there is interested, there's this podcast called Song Exploder where they take particular songs and then analyze it. And so they invited Madonna and her co-producer, Stuart Price, to talk about the genesis and development of this song. And does she talk about kind of how this whole concept of confessions on a dance floor and hung up really gravitated or really rested on getting that sample. If she didn't have that sample, she wasn't going to be able to probably put out this song. But what I also permeated my mind at that time too, when I was 33 and listening to Hung Up, was also kind of her recall, her homage to John Travolta and his 70s influence. And so you kind of see that in the video that she had. And all this marketing campaign that we hadn't seen before in a long time with respect to that song. And it, hmm. it was perfect because it, at the time it was paired up with the Motorola rocker phone. Do you remember that Motorola rocker phone? Yeah. A Motorola, phone. like before <laughs> our iPhones, remember? Like we had the flips. The totally. Razors, like, totally, yeah. right? It was kind of, where's the flip phone? I know that sometimes yeah. it tries to kind of have a comeback these days, but it was the thing. And so that really started off my 33rd year was listening to Hung Up and came out. It was just like, Boom, my mind I could just hear was, it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And then I could hear the sample. Totally. Yeah. You know? So how about you? What was like one of the songs? That- oh, I was just thinking Beyonce, right? Like the mm. Sasha Fierce album dropped in late right. 2008. Weddings I went to you had single ladies playing in oh, like, yes, bouquet yes, throws. Yes. Yeah. Halo was like a pared down Beyonce proclaiming love. Yeah. They got edge, right? If I were a boy, and then she got edge with a collab with Lady Gaga with telephone. And this is the lovely bay, the beehive forming like working beyond destiny dangerous and love b-day yes, and yes. she was headed to run the world in several years so it wasn't new it was just more from her it was just like, right okay. right that hasn't changed because she's still like i mean i had renaissance playing in july right. on my birthday where i was like yes it's still something i like so i was sort of like oh that sort of crystallized so i was like that wasn't a surprise yes Yes, yes, yes. It is. And you'll see, like, I think you see my notes or whatever, because the third paragraph, I'll be like, oh, God. <laughs> Day and night, 
by Kid Cootie and Blame It by Jamie Foxx and T-Pain. I right. like R&B and a good beat. You always knew that about me. Of course. I wanted something repetitive. That music was something if I went to the gym or had to work out, I could mutter when working out, mowing the lawn. I remember windows down, making my drive in my SUV from Ottawa to Montreal, Montreal to going to see you guys in Toronto to my yeah. family in Niagara, just blaring it. It was just so, it was nothing new. It was just repetitive. And I was searching for more of like, I wasn't getting like Belbiv DeVoe or like a 112 and stuff, bit of an edge, but I was always searching for the RB and sort of like that beat. But at 33, Kuya, we were growing up, right? We were beyond our 30s. Like, right. I mean, I may go out to like a pub or whatever after volleyball, maybe drinks at a pub, an odd yeah. visit to a bar for like a retro night. But That's like, right. I was shifting. Like, I don't get that time. And I can't even, I mean, if you ask me that, when was the last time I danced? I'm like, like at a wedding, <laughs> but I can't remember the time where you know we used to go to Left Bank in Toronto. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we that's used to right. go out and dance all the time. And it's just oh, it's that adulthood thing looming in where you're like, oh, I'm gonna get to, like I'm closer to them in thirty than I am at thirty, and there was a change. What was your next song of like 2005, 2006, and your 33rd year? Yeah, you know the way I kind of thought about this assignment was like what really went into heavy rotation for me, yeah. even though we're looking at the overall year. And so something that entered into my heavy rotation was actually a remix. And the remix mm-hmm. was the confession to a remix of Like a Virgin. And it all started <laughs> when you and I went yes. to the Bell Center in Montreal. And we heard this on June 21st, 2006, where at the performance we attended, she declared that this next song was a song about survival. And then she started showing all of these horses doing a question horses, yeah. you know, falling <laughs> off. And then yeah. she said, you were like, what is they flashing Going up on off? the screen? And it was mm-hmm. like x-rays. And I said, oh my God, these are x-rays of her broken bones and horses being thrown off their saddles. Well, yeah. she starts to then go over to a saddle that is revolving around a go-go pole and then starts to That's mount right. the saddle and starts to go around. And then as I turned to you, my mind was exploding because I started to listen to the siege of music coming through. Mm-hmm. And I just realized, my goodness, she's singing like a virgin as she mm-hmm. like starts to croon out, I made it through the wilderness. And I was like, oh my gosh, she totally reinvented this song with a different beat, you know, <laughs> but still reminiscent. So talk about crystallizing, like I totally like heard the song, but in a totally different way. So it's just some background. 2005, she had sustained a number of broken bones when she was thrown off her horse. And this is when she had lived in England with her, at the time, husband, Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie. Yeah, and that as she was rehearsing for this tour, her choreographers really described her as being a trooper and recovering from that accident. And I have to say, Sigs, like, Like a Virgin was not necessarily my favorite song. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it wasn't necessarily, I mean... I will listen to it and I will dance to it. It wasn't like a song that I really paid attention to. However, this remix and this updated tempo and her declaration that, again, that this was a song about survival and resilience, it made Mm -hmm. me see and hear the lyrics in a totally different way. It made me realize when she says things like, I made it through the wilderness, I was beat Mm -hmm. incomplete, and that she felt shiny and new. It suddenly all those lines took on a new meaning and made me realize that life is more than just about surviving. It's also about trying to thrive and become better and be resilient. And I was just like, oh my God, she totally made me see this song differently. A song that I kind of discounted and really left in the 80s 
But of course, always happy to hear when I hear it in a club. But to hear it in this fashion and the Confession Tour remix, it's become like one of my favorite remixes of all time. So, you were super excited. I was super excited. And it like, was just, I wish I could really explain to like the listeners. Like it was equestrian. She had dancers marching like oh, in the tropical It was equestrian, she bondage, yeah, like, like the beautiful. Kim Kardashian long, long leaves. Yeah. And with that riding hat and cropped, and they were just in sync. Because I was like, what is happening here? This is what uh, it was like an art installation because it was very public. It totally I was, like, was. And you were and just like squealing, like, oh, this is this. And I'm like, I want the hits. And you were like, <laughs> it's a confession tour. You don't understand. Like, it was just, it we're, was really. We're hearing was, Deep Madonna here. Yeah. 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 This is our, it was artistic beyond. It was an experience. I know why we paid a lot of money for those tickets. I understand it. Like, it was my first Madonna concert with you. And I'm even glad the second one was Sticky Sweet because I got the hits. Mm-hmm. But it was very artistic. Like, I just, I didn't expect it to be that. Like, because when I saw X-rays, I'm like, what is this of? And like, it, she fell off a horse. And I was like, oh, I, I wouldn't know that. But like, the transitions were great. Like, it was just. Yeah, I would say that that was a really theatrical concert. Yeah. And just seeing a new rendition of Like a Virgin was just incredible, which kind of leads me to my third yeah. song, mm-hmm. you know, and then we'll get back to you on this, that the third song that really started to catch my attention that year when I was 33 was when, of course, I was wanting to see the broadcast of the confession tour, which occurred, you know, on American Thanksgiving on November 22nd, <laughs> 2006. And NBC? Yeah, NBC hosted it. And then NBC showed it. I'm NBC surprised. showed it, and then they had to actually not show how she was on a disco cross singing Live to Tell. So she was on the oh disco cross singing Live to Tell, and they couldn't show it, so then they had to show like the background screen. Yeah. That's not the song. And again, yeah. she explained that that too was also a song about survival. So right. clearly this was about kind of surviving trauma, surviving adversity, But the interesting part for me was kind of like what you were talking about earlier, which she started off the entire concert with the song Future Lovers. And I suddenly rediscovered the genius of that song because she samples in that also as well, I Feel Love, and portrays that equine dominatrix that you were discussing Mm-hmm. as well. And I remember you and I were like thinking about how is she going to come in? How is she going to come in? And she comes in from a disco ball that kind of comes from the ceiling and then she exits the disco ball and yeah. she's in her riding outfit with, as you said, like a top out and a long mane and a yeah. riding cap. And there's this one moment that totally captivated me, you know, and I didn't get to pay attention to it when we were watching it in concert because there was just so much to see. Oh, yeah. But watching the broadcast tour made me re-appreciate even more so Future Lovers, where she sits on the mini staircase outside of the disco ball and she just looks at the audience and her dancers while twirling her riding crop. Mm -hmm. And we just hear a spoken recording of her just say, I'm going to tell you about love. Would you like to try? You know, and I just thought, fuck, she's fucking fierce. She's so fierce. 
I just thought to myself, oh, just an amazing experience. The interesting part is you always get a different experience sometimes when you mm-hmm. see her in concert at different places. But the broadcast version just allowed me to see how fierce she was. That, you know, that we couldn't necessarily see when we were in Montreal because would have loved to have been we're sitting, closer, yeah. But nevertheless, mm-hmm. because I have to tell you, when I heard the studio version of the song, I was like, oh, that's a nice intro song, but I didn't think twice about it. Mm-hmm. But seeing the broadcast version, it was just like, oh, I love this song. I thought it was an experimental and more of a filler. But the live version really helped me understand how the song was more about needing to tame the inner animal within us and that we should be asking for accountability. And if we ask for accountability, you know, it helps us heal and thrive, which is where in one line she says in the middle of that song, give me evidence of its brilliance. So ever since that broadcast portrayal of that song, I don't think I've ever listened to that song ever the same way again. Oh, no way. That wow. permeated again my 33rd year. So yeah, those are probably the three songs that really were on high rotation and it was because it was a Madonna release here. Would have been interesting to say like, you know, what did you listen to at 32? You know, you may have gotten a different set, but that's certainly, those are the three songs that permeated my playlist, my player at the time. Oh my gosh. My last few songs that I was listening to at 33 were Good Girls Go Bad. Remember Cobra Starship and Lady Meester? And Don't Stop Believing, the Glee version. And it's so funny. And I'm just laughing because I'm like, oh, good Lord. You know, I don't think TV would have a major influence on what I like or what I want to listen to versus, you know, we used to watch Much Music or I used to watch Total Request Live, like MTV, like Satellite Dish in the days, which, Mm -hmm, by the mm -hmm. way, we should totally do a back to the ball on that. Right. Aside from Cop Rock being a musical show on television, Glee kicked down that door in 2009. Totally Made a musical show with palatable remakes of pop hits more popular again. Aside from a karaoke bar or an old jukebox I listened to at my previous place of work. I didn't think I'd be into Journey that much. I mean, we are into Journey because the Lapino singing yes, yes, that's the right. lead or Ario Speedwagon or a birth of musicals brought into a TV main stage. Like, I think I downloaded a ton of songs from Glee and ugh, it's sort of A lot of us did, right? I know, and I'm just like cringing. I'm like, it's not like it's a band, it's a show and I just, they're pulling pop hits from the past. I remember Boy Is Mine, Gold Digger, Kanye pre-2022. Like, Take a bow. <laughs> take a bow, which you and I loved, or no air. Totally, yes, no yes. air. We did it, and I'm no just air, like, yes. "Oh, good lord!" At 33, I like the Glee music because it was all throwbacks of pop hits that I liked. I'm like, "Oh, this is sort of exactly <laughs> it kinda, what it said." Kind of, not it fully. Kind of proves the <laughs> hypothesis. Yes, yes, yes. Of this, so I felt like you know, a bit study. of a dork. But I also, like, I remember watching the TV show, I think the show Happy Endings, where who's your favorite musician? And I think one of the characters got mad. Glee is not a musician. It's a show. It's a show. <laughs> it's music, which That's we were right. addicted to. You and I were, like, listening to it and part of the zeitgeist back then. Yeah. And I remember, like, us listening. But who would have thought that? I'm like, oh, I'm listening to maybe this time from, like, a musical or Defying Gravity from a musical. And I'm telling you, I'm not going. Yes. Right? From Dream Girls, where they it just came back. Go ahead. I thought that Glee's not a band. Glee's a show, as, yeah, as you exactly. said. <laughs> but you have to credit Glee to have opened up the music catalog to right. a bunch of new listeners that have never heard those songs before, thinking that it's brand new and then realizing, oh, who are these people that originally sang the song? And to credit Ryan Murphy for being a genius around that and actually people opening up their catalogs realizing Mm -hmm. oh my gosh we can get that much more royalties and I think that that's a really good example of how he modernized a lot of what we would 
probably think of as classic, traditional, older music. Music, yeah. Yeah, which is kind of what today's culture capital topic is all about. You know, what we've been talking about hints at how our musical tastes and our musical tastes don't evolve and that they become relics. But (laughs) you were talking about Glee can breathe fresh new air into it. And I think in terms of our culture capital topic, it makes us really kind of ask ourselves, what does it mean to be the modern Filipino or what does it mean Hmm. to be modern in some ways? And as I was kind of thinking about this and doing a bit of research, you know, there is this kind of tension between the old and the new or the past and the present or traditional versus modern. And that these debates are always around kind of like, which is better? How is one better? You know, it made me wonder kind of like, well, who is or what makes up the modern Filipino? And some of my research kind of led to this academic J.J. Smolich from the University of Adelaide. And Smolich says that tradition survives when it makes accommodations for the present. And it also Hmm. implies that tradition does not hinder social change or change period. So this is what's interesting, Sigs. Maybe we can kind of point to some pop culture topics along the way. But it also implies that the resilience of a culture really depends on its ability to incorporate new ideas and developments. And that there are primarily four ways. So this is what Smolik says, is is that one way is the modification of heritage. So in other words... It's the reinterpretation of the heritage to meet the current needs and aspirations of society. So Miss Universe just recently passed and really important cultural event for Filipinos back in the Philippines. And you see the rise of pageantry become important for the Philippines. And I think that that's actually, if you will, a development from fiesta culture where there would be pageants and presentations like the Santa Cruzon, where you Mm -hmm. would see young women in the village dressed up as certain versions of the Virgin Mary. So now it's been kind of modernized where there's been lots of focus is really the pageant industry within the Philippines. And so that's just a reinterpretation of the pageantry that you would see in the fiesta. And then the other example that I think about is, I think, Sigs, I told you about this in 2015 when I was in the Philippines one time mm-hmm. and came back and discovered their version of watermelon sinigang, which is basically oh my gosh. the incorporation of watermelon into sinigang, but it gives it this kind of sweeter, tangy flavor. Again, it's just a reinterpretation of heritage to currently meet the aspirations of society or its current needs of society. So I don't know I, if you can think of anything. No, that I think that's a really great idea. We've seen it in like two things. My cousin had a wedding in the fall on their side, first Canadian Filipino wedding for them. And it was lovely because my cousins, like her bridal entourage, they all had earrings with mm. the sun, the Filipino right. sun. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Just gorgeous pieces. And each girl was wearing it and it looked beautiful. And right. they're like, oh, I love your earrings. I'm like, yeah, it's symbolic of the Filipino sun. Right. People proudly wearing it. Right. It would right. be not just people wearing the mestizo or the turno. They took it to a different level, right? Yeah. Of just yeah. wear your Filipino, show us your Filipino and the jewelry that's made by our culture that was brought into Canada. Right. 
right. just gorgeous. Like gorgeous. Yeah. Well, and even just the fit of the Barong Tagalogs, they're a bit different than how they would be traditional. Yeah. And it's because of today's needs in terms of how clothes need to fit, for example. Mm. Another way that Smallest talks about in terms of how a culture can become resilient and be modern, right, mm-hmm. is innovation through cultural diffusion. And I think what that typically means is the diffusion of culture from other countries and groups. So, of course, we have our typical examples of Catholic, Spanish, and Chinese influence right. that we've talked endlessly on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But recent examples, I think, are American imperialism and its expression through, let's say, Blue Label adherence or Jollibee, for that matter. So, when I think about Jollibee, you mm-hmm. know, that is the taking in of American influences and then introducing a for-profit motive to then suddenly make it into a whole restaurant chain. And Big so, time. Yeah, and people proudly claim it to be Filipino and people talk about it being a Filipino fast food chain. So that's another example of like current cultural diffusion. Innovation through cultural diffusion is what ah, you know, okay. academics would say. The third type is innovation through cultural creativity. So that's simply cultural growth and creativity that originates solely from the given culture itself. Sigs, I don't know if you know this, but did you know... Kilig is in the Oxford Dictionary. No, that's news to me. Yeah, so if you go into the Oxford Dictionary, as of 2016, Kilig made its entry, and it says borrowed from Tagalog. And, you know, and then it talks about how it refers to the feeling of excitement due to various love circumstances. That's what Wikipedia would say. You know, talks about that, and you and I have talked about it. Oh, yeah. Originally, Kilig was used by teenagers in the Philippines, from what I understand. And really, it's about expansion and value of love. And there are many ways to say love, or many different types of love, and different types of love circumstances. But Kilig really talks about a particular type that we see in love teams, and that we all kind of talk about. And we, you and I kind of take it for granted, but it really started to have rise by the 2000s, and so much so that it's now in the Oxford English Dictionary. Part of the vernacular, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then that's actually growth in terms of creativity within the Filipino culture where it's an expansion on what it means to love and the experience of love. And so, and that's something that we've contributed not only just to our culture, but to the worldwide stage in some ways. So I just think that that's another way that we remain current, right? Is, Is that we've expanded upon the love circumstances, in this case, expanding on what the value of love is all about through the expression of Kilik. Now, interestingly enough, lexicographers out there have been mm-hmm. talking about the hope that Gigil will probably make it into the English yeah, uh, language. Yeah, that would be I fun to see that kind of get in there too. And then the last thing to talk about in terms of how you know the modern Filipino exists is mm-hmm. the crystallization of tradition, which is really how heritage is modified in the light of new inputs or current needs. And so for me, probably the most clearest idea of that is how hospitality, you know, our sense of being hospitable to others Mm -hmm. when we bring people into our home has been professionalized as caregiving, seen mainly in the sending regime of the Philippines where we've sent out overseas foreign workers to either be domestic workers or foreign healthcare workers. And I think that that's a really... One another example of our old traditions being modernized and then crystallized in a new form because of the global needs of meeting professional care out there. Especially so, pandemic, yeah. Like during the especially in the pandemic. Where we're yeah. proud, like, yes, they are frontline workers. And like, do you remember? Was it the administering of the first vaccine? I think one of the pictures was a Filipino nurse. Yeah. 
Right? Totally was. In Britain. It totally and I was, was like, that's right. That's our people. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Going yeah. Out there. And that really crystal, I like that crystallization of yeah. that. that. It's, it's such yeah. a great example. So when we think about the modern Filipino along this kind of helpful way of thinking that Smolich talks about, you can kind of see how what makes us distinctly Filipino and yet modern at the same time through these different ways our old traditions have been either modified innovated upon through creativity or through influence with other cultures or have been crystallized into new traditions in light of global needs or current circumstances. Huh. When I think about kind of the fixing of the week, and I know, mm-hmm. Sigs, we've started this year off, you know, with really a nosebleed of sorts, right? But, it, <laughs> but thanks for letting me kind of wax and wane about all of this. When we think about being the modern Filipino, I think what I want to leave our listeners with is a meditation on how can we combine the traditional with the modern or Mm. with the modern needs and demands of today? Because it's not about getting rid of tradition. Right. It's about how do we update it through these different ways that I've just talked about. I think that's a great fixing of the week to leave our listeners with. Mm -hmm. We'd love to hear what you all think of this and want to hear your thoughts on the modern Filipino and, you know what, music that developed you at the age of 33. Mm-hmm. Email us at at gmail.com and probably if you want your invite to Jez's Elevated Super Bowl 2024. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the Holo podcast is available on all podcast platforms. Please rate us and leave a review. You can find us on social media, Twitter, our handles at Hello Hello Pop, and on Instagram at Hello Hello Pop Culture. I can hear some of our Filipino listeners in the Philippines going, Ay, kuya, nosebleed ko, right? You know, <laughs> like I have a nosebleed, but thank you for listening. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Chelterring, and we'll see all of you again real soon. See you guys soon.